visiting with us? Are you kind of, you know, it's been a while since you've been here. We're in the middle of a series. It's part four of a series um, this morning. So if um, um, it, it's a series that uh, Andy Stanley does called Starting Point, we've kind of taken some of, of what he's talked about. It's, it's kind of loosely based on that, but it's more of some of the, the stuff that I just felt like our, our church um, needs to, to hear. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. I believe there's something here for, for everyone this morning. Um, this whole idea of starting point is, is about the, the, the idea that everything had a starting point. You had a starting point, however many years ago that might have been. Uh, you know, you, uh, your career had a starting point. Um, just the diff- your, your, your marriage, your romantic life, it all had a starting point. And something we don't often think about is that faith, what we believe about God, you know, where... where um, where we kind of stand on that now, that all goes back to some point where it started. And so, um, you know, for us, uh, a lot of us, that happened when we were kids. It was kind of like this foundation that was started when we were kids. You know, our parents or maybe church or Sunday school put some of these blocks in a row for us and said, okay, here's, here's kind of what you need to believe. And, and we grabbed onto that. And then as we got older, we weren't sure that it, all, um, that it all made sense. You know, we heard God's good and he answers prayer, but there's a lot of bad stuff and he doesn't answer my prayer. And pretty soon you get to those spots, you're like, ah, it gets chipped away. You know, and some of the stuff you thought you really believed, you're like later on going, ah, I don't really know. So this whole idea of the series is where was to give people a chance to restart. You know, if we just said, hey, let's, let's forget about everything we learned before, where would I start if I started as an adult today? So for those, you know, this morning you're like, well, who is this series for? It's for people who started out. Um, you know, you, maybe you grew up in church and you had some these thoughts about faith, but you've kind of drifted. It doesn't really mean anything to you right now. It's not that important. It seems kind of irrelevant. It's given you a chance to really think about and say, hey, you know, maybe there's more to this than what I've thought, and I kind of want to restart. For some of you here, you're adults and you've never been to church. It's kind of like this last couple of weeks, it's been the first time you're here, uh, and you're just kind of looking and thinking, hey, what would I do? Is this just kid stuff? Is it fairy tales? This morning gives you an opportunity as well to think about some of those things of where would you start um, as an adult. And then uh, for those of you here, you're like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. This stuff's like, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really apply to me. I want to challenge you with this thought that, that maybe you're saying, hey, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've built the foundation on the things that we've talked about as an adult. I'm in. But there's going to be people around your life that have questions. Your kids, your friends that want to know. And it's like, you know, the, the idea this morning is, is just to help encourage and teach you how to share with them. Uh, I had some people this week, you know, they, uh, a couple weeks ago, they had asked me to, to come uh, and meet with them because they had a friend who really needed to hear about Jesus. And they said, you know, we want you to meet with them because they really need you to talk to a pastor. And I'm like, you know what? They can talk to you, right? And they're like, they said, you know, we really love that, that part about the mistakers and sinners thing we talked about. And I was like, you can use that. Oh, well, and all of a sudden the lights came on. Like, Wait a second. We're the ones who are supposed to be sharing Jesus with, this, with our friend. I was like, yes, we're getting it. We're getting it. Um, and so um, the, the idea behind this whole um, series is that it is a series. If I were to show you this little, uh, this little thing from the marriage night here, we got this, little, um, we got this little, little block wall. And if I were to give you the exact same blocks, and I just kind of gave them to you in, in, in a bunch, I said, all right, I want you to reconstruct this. How many of you think you could do it? You could. I know it's not a trick question. You could. I know all of you could do this. Um, uh, you're smart people. But if I were to hand this over to you and said, "Okay, I just want you to. I want you to build this, but I want you to start with the blue one." 
You'd be like, well, that's pretty near impossible unless you've got Jedi mind tricks I don't know about. Then, uh, you know, you can't really start with the blue one because you're missing some stuff underneath. And it's the same idea with this series. If you just take one of these things and think, hey, this is what it's all about, you'll, miss, uh, you'll misunderstand what the whole, the totality of the message is. So if you haven't had a chance to, to hear the, the previous ones, I'd encourage you to go listen to them either on uh, Andy Stanley's website or you can find them on our website. But we asked a few questions. One of the foundation things was, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Not, you know, who, who was he way back when? Who do you think he is? The second thought we looked at is, you know, why do we even need faith? Why do we even need a savior? We talked about the idea that a lot of us want to think we're just mistakers. Every once in a while we make a mistake. We don't want to think that it's sin. We don't like that. Whole series, um, a whole um, message uh, that we won't get into today. But to think about that. And then last week we talked about the fact that God actually started faith, uh, this faith journey for us that he, um, with Abraham, waded into a mess that sin had made and said, I want to start and I want to rescue. I'm going to start faith so that others someday could as well. And we talked about that. And this morning, I want to just um, talk about number four. Uh, and uh, before we get too far into it, uh, I want to ask you, if, do you know what season it is right now? What season is it? Roll up the rim season! You guys think it's winter. Let's just say it together. It's just so fun. Roll up the rim some of you are like, roll up the rim. Um, the, 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 it's the roll up the rim to reassay season for me. I have bought like 35 coffees, and this is what it says every time. Reassay, s'il vous plaît. Even in French, I hate it. You know, but uh, I, I, I realized that I'm not in, uh, in terrible company. I found this other cup here, the second roll, that uh, made me feel a whole lot better. Um, don't feel bad. The Leafs haven't won a cup either since 1967. And, and I was like, man, I can't figure this out. Why do I not win? I buy coffee for me. I buy coffee for everyone else. I mean, I should be winning, and I haven't won at all. And then I realized why. There's a guy in our church named Henry, and here's uh, his winnings. So, uh, you know, I might as well just give up because uh, I think he's got them all. He texted us and said, here's my coffee, and, and one of those is a free donut. But um, this, this, the, the roll up the rim season is such a, a great uh, and, and fun, usually, uh, season. But the reason I want to say that today is I want to title this The Role of Rules. Can you, uh, can you say that with me? The Role of Rules. So every time you roll up your rim, I want you to think about the role of rules and be like, ah, oh, you know, coffee has been forever changed for me. Uh, thanks, to, thanks to this. The role of rules. Every time... Um, and uh, that you're going to even take a look at any kind of religion, any kind of faith, you're going to come up against this. You look at, you know, church, you're going to, whatever it may be, you're going to find that every single one of them's got rules. You know, Islam has the five pillars of Islam. Many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments before. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In Sikhism, they've got a list of rules. In uh, the Mormon faith, there's a list of rules. Every single one of them has a list of rules. And it's it's interesting. I'm not going to pick on any of those because I don't want any retribution. But um, what I do know is that, um, you know, as Christians, it's it's very interesting because we have so many different groups of Christians and they all have their own groups of rules. Some have, you know, like I was raised in the Christian Reformed Church, 
And um, great, great place. But we had a set of rules that you, you kind of lived by. You know, children weren't running around the sanctuary because it's a holy place. You grab those kids. And, and things, you know, that's what it was like for me growing up. And then I realized, you know, as we got up, there was, the, you know, there was some, some different offshoots that didn't agree on a rule. So they decided to start a new, whole new thing. You know, the, the, the Orthodox Reformed had to have some, some different rules. The Canadian Reformed would have some different rules. And it wasn't just that. You know, the, the, we know, you know, the friends down the road, the Catholics, they had their list of rules. And then, the, you know, my wife went to a Baptist school and, and they, had, they had all new different rules there as well. Your hair couldn't touch your shoulder if you were a boy. You weren't allowed to listen to music that had drums in it, even if it was Christian, because it wasn't Christian. And so my, my wife, who was like, she loved, you know, music with drums. She'd make these contraband uh, mixtapes of Christian music and she'd be dealing them, uh, you know, in the, in the Baptist school. Um, I know, you wouldn't know it, eh? Uh, but uh, uh, why is that? Because, you know, with these rules, they, they all have rules, and we never get to make them. We never get to be the one who says, here's the rules, here's the rules for me. Someone else always sets the rules, and we, we just don't like it. Uh, the only time you get to make rules is when you're a parent. And I waited for this day. My parents, when I was a kid, always said, when you grow up and have a house of your own, then you can make the rules. But as long as you live here under our roof, you'll abide by our rules. Any other parents heard or said that? I just love saying this to my own kids. It's just, I've waited, I've waited 30-something years to be able to do that. Um, but um, rules, you know, we make them. But the, the unfortunate part about that is those rules only apply to my kids. You know, aren't you, don't some of you have those feelings like, man, I wish that I could just, you know, put some rules on some of those other children that I know? Yeah, I know, you're thinking of my kids, but that's all right. You know, it's like, I just, you know, I wish that, but, but the idea is that the rules only really apply to our, to our own children. And, and it's something that rules, we, we rebel against them. There's something in us that even from, from childhood, we just don't like, we just don't like rules. Um, there's a famous saying, and, and you'll see just by finishing it for me, rules are meant to be, yeah, you know that. Rules are meant to be broken. My son's, um, they, uh, Beth took them out the other, uh, this summer, and she's wandering on the beach, and they just took off in Dover. And she's like, wow, they're going to come back. They're going to come back, right? They never came back. So she finally kept wandering down the beach to this, finally where these two little specks had gone. And they were climbing up this private property, and they were all the way up at the house by the time she got there to call them to come back down. They missed all three signs. I don't know how. But even if they did, there's this idea of, you know, break, break all, um, all the rules. And, uh, you know, that was one of the, the, the things that, that I want to talk about this morning is we have this in us, this idea of um, pushing against rules, but I want to talk about the role of rules because we see that, you know, and see it in church, we see it in faith, like, ugh, I hate the rules. Ugh, just don't like it. But I want to give you a few thoughts. If you're taking notes, jot this one down. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. Andy Stanley in his series used three different models, and I want to use those same three today because uh, they make sense. Number, number one of the type of um, relationship that, that rules would be a part of is the family model. You know, the, the model family here. It, the, the idea of this is that, you know, when you were born, you were born into a family, and then your family had some list of rules, just like my family does. But, but um, you, don't, you weren't given the rules first. You were born into the family. You're part of the family. And because you're part of the family, um, you have rules. You know, if you're not a part of my family, you, you don't have the same rules because you're not a part. But it's saying if you're born, you have rules because you're a part of it. And parents, they get to set those rules like we talked about. So the second, the second one is the, is the club model, the country club model. In this relationship model, they're going to give you the rules first. They're going to say, okay, here's what you have to agree to before you're allowed to be part of the club. 
if you don't agree to these rules. Or if you break them, you get kicked out of the club. And this applies to sports teams, you know, country clubs, school clubs, fraternities, jobs. For instance, you know, you get hired and they say, hey, if you want to work here, you're not allowed to smoke weed. And you smoke weed, you don't work there anymore, right? So they have these, they have these rules that they set in place. And if you break them, they kick you out. And then there's the neighborhood association model, which is, you know, for, for those, maybe you live on a street like mine where, you know, there's all the houses and then there's that one house, you know, that just looks different from the others. Uh, and it's, it's this idea that, you know, that you're allowed to move into town, but it, it, they have this code. And if you, if you kind of live by the code, you're in, but you're never really sure because it can change um, pretty, pretty quickly. And, you know, and sometimes you're not sure if... Um, um, if, you, if you fit the code, but then, you know, you get bad neighbors who they find ways to show you that you're really not welcome uh, in the neighborhood. So, you know, it might be one, one of those. Um, so there, there's ways that, that you know. Maybe you get a, a note in your mailbox or maybe something better. But in Townsend, we've got like the Townsend Volunteer Police. Um, they, they're a group of people from Townsend who, they, their job, they do good stuff. They, like, they, they, they help collect food for the food bank, uh, and they, they put on some events for the kids and things like that. Um, but they also, they also feel like they, um, um, I don't know, they're, they're, they're the volunteer police. Every once in a while, we get a letter from this group, and they send us this letter. And um, the last time we got it, the letter said, hey, to all of you kids, um, you need to wear your helmets while you're biking because it's against the law to not um, wear helmets. And we're like, yeah, but we're in Townsend. No police go through Townsend. And then they send this other thing. And the guy who's driving the red quad on the sidewalks, that is against the law. And, uh, and you know who you are. And then they said, and for all those people who speed into Townsend, it's 50 kilometers an hour. Uh, and, then, and I see them. They set up this little stand. It shows a little thing that shows the speed limit. And they're standing there. And they're taking down license plates as we go in. And I drive in. I didn't realize it was 50 there. So I smile and I wave at them. I'm like, good job, guys. You know, I'm glad you guys are doing that. And we get the letter and it says, for those of you who are smiling and waving at us while you speed through Townsend, you know who you are. Now they put up a sign on Townsend, like going in every direction to Townsend, the children of Townsend, thank you for obeying the speed limit, which is 50 kilometers an hour. You know who you are. You know what, that whole sign, just because of me. Um, but there's this thing, these, 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 these rules, and if you think about it, if you think about God, and you think about faith, you think about, well, how does God kind of think about me? And you live your life, you know, based on one of these three um, models. Which one is it? Am I part of God's family? And because I'm part of his family, there's some rules that go along with it. You know, and that's kind of what maybe church or, or relationship with Christ has been. Maybe for you it's different. Maybe for you it's like, well, you know, I know that if I go to church or it, I got, got to keep the Ten Commandments because that's what's in the Bible. And if I don't, he might kick me out, you know, or maybe you did get kicked out. You know, maybe, maybe you're here because your other church didn't let you stay there. They kicked you. You broke the rules. And maybe you're part of like the neighborhood association style where you're like, you're just not really sure. You know, you go to church and they say, we love and accept everyone, but you kind of, you know, you feel like you're on the outside. You know, they kind of look down their nose and you're just, you're just not sure. And with God, you're like, you know, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do more good than bad. I hope that at the end of my life, like, he's going he's gonna to say, yes, you did well, you're in. But you're not really sure. And for some of you, think about it, it's like, yeah, you think a little bit theological. For some of you, it's emotional because you're like, you know that, you know that there's something going on. You're just not quite sure. Um, what it is. And for some of you, it's the foundation that you were taught. 
It's this idea. So we wanted to look at that this morning. Why all the rules? You know, what is, what is this whole deal with all of these rules? Because they're found in every other religion. And so what, if Christianity being a follower of Christ, what type, what type of model is it? And so we're going to look at that. So where do the rules come from? Um, you know, back in the day, there was this thing called the, the Ten Commandments. Anybody heard of them? Yes, you maybe have seen them in a movie. You're like, oh yeah, I remember this. You know, um, if I were to hand you a Bible this morning, I'm just going to do a little poll. If I were to hand you a Bible and say, how many of you know the Ten Commandments are in the Bible? Yes? You know they're in the, okay, and some of you are like, I don't know, I'm not raising my hand for nothing. All right, but if I were to give you a Bible and say, okay, now I want you to show me where in the Bible the Ten Commandments are found, how many of you could do it? Wow, sweet. But if you look around, there's a number that couldn't, and I just want to say to the rest, to those of you who couldn't, you're the, you're the majority. Most people, you hand them a Bible and say, hey, you know where are the Ten Commandments? They're in the Bible. Where? I don't know, somewhere in the back, right? They're, but they're in there. I, I know it because I've heard that, and you're just not sure. Uh, and how you know, uh, the other thing, how many of you could quote all Ten Commandments? You know, a, a couple of you. Sunday school, you know, you ones who got all the gold stars. You guys, you guys can. But for most of you, you're like, I, God, there's like, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill people, don't use dirty language, I think, you know, don't, I don't know. There's just, there's some in there. And, and you're not sure if you can quote all ten, but you as well are in the majority. But I want to help you. So the next time that you're like at a place where somebody says, you know, where's the Ten Commandments? You're going to be the smartest person in that room because you're going to know. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. So let's just say it together. Exodus. So where are the Ten Commandments found? Somebody said the Bible. I just love that. Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 20. Where'd they come from? Uh, a quick little history. Last week we talked about Abraham. Remember this guy that God promised that you're going to be a great nation? And uh, he says, God, I don't have any kids. And we talked about how he had, he had a son um, named Ishmael. And we know that Ishmael had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became uh, the, the Arab nations that we know today. That's where, that's where the, um, uh, that whole uh, lineage came from. And then on the other side, um, there was his wife, Sarah. He had a son with her named Isaac. And actually, if you study Islam, you study Christianity or Judaism, both of them are going to say that their guy was the one who was blessed. He was, you know, Ishmael was the son of promise, and um, Isaac was the son of promise. But as you go through and you, you study down, Isaac um, uh, uh, had a son as well named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. So and out of those 12 sons and some, and some grandsons became the nation of Israel. And one of those sons, so Abraham's you know, grandson, uh, is, this, is this guy named Joseph. And Joseph is this, uh, was one of, the, one of the 12 who his brother sold him. Uh, and some of you would wish you could still do that today. But they, they sold their brother. And he ended up, he, yes, I, I see that. He ended up in uh, Egypt. And out of that, you know, he says, hey, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. And when there was a famine in the land, he brought his whole family. And there was about 70 of them. He brought them to Egypt. And they were spared. Their lives were spared because they were living in Egypt at that time. It was the only place there was food. And they ended up staying in Egypt, and they ended up um, multiplying like crazy. And they, um, the, the Egyptians got nervous of them, so they decided to make them into slaves. So for 400 years, this group of, of, of um, descendants of Abraham, they were in slavery. 400 years. We don't, even, we don't even think in terms like that. If you thought about that, it'd be, these kids would be sitting around saying, you know, so, you know, great-grandpa Abe had a promise made to him that he's going to be a great nation. Yeah. And we're that great nation. Yeah. But dad, you were a slave your whole life. Yes. And your grandfather was a slave his whole life. Yes. And great-grandpa was a slave his whole life. Yes. Stop asking all these questions. You know, but, but wait, are, we're, we're a great nation? 
Like, we're going to be something, you know, we're going to be famous. That's what great Uncle Abe said. And they start to think, you know what? Based on my circumstance, my parents never saw it. My grandparents never saw it. My great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents. All we know is slavery. And slavery was, you know, obviously a horrible life to, to live. Uh, but after these 400 years, all of a sudden this other guy arrives on the scene. His name is Moses. And for, for many of you who have seen Technicolor, Dreamcoat or something, you know who Moses is. And Moses, um, he, uh, he comes in to Pharaoh and he has this famous saying. What, is, what does Moses say to Pharaoh? He says, let, let my, he says, doesn't say it like that. He says, let my people go. <laughs> right? If you went to kids camp, um, you know the song. But uh, see, he, he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting them go. And you see God do some just crazy things in nature to, uh, to, to um, uh, judge the nation of Egypt, but also to let the, the children of Israel go. And so he, he sets this group, of which, which is now 600,000 men plus women and children, so probably about a million people, he sets free in this, um, from slavery. And they go out and they walk across the, the Red Sea. He parts and he makes a way for them. They go through, uh, and once they get to the other side, you know, God's, he, he starts feeding them because they're in a wilderness. He's feeding them every single day with, with bread from, from heaven and the right. They're like, this is just really crazy. We're not used to this. And they kind of, uh, they're wandering through. And about three weeks after they get out of Egypt, he says to them through Moses, this, um, he shares with them the, the, the Ten Commandments, which are found in? Exodus 20. If you take a, grab your Bible, this is easy to find because it's right at the beginning. Just if you open it up, it's the second book. There's Genesis and then there's Exodus or on your phone you can find it. Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 and 2. Before God even gives them the Ten Commandments, he says this to them. Before he gives them the rules, he says, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God. Before he gave many rules, he said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt and the place of your slavery. Before he gave them any rules, he established that they were in relationship with him. He was telling them, listen, I am your God. And they're like, you're our God? Well, all right, you did rescue us from Egypt, so okay. And, but it's like, and we're your people? Yes, I told Abraham that, and I've never forgotten that. But we were slaves. Yes, but I never forgot that you are my people. And so like, okay. So he just says, listen, we're in a relationship. I'm yours, you're mine. Uh, and and um, what's interesting to note is if, if we think about it in that order, that the rules were not a condition of the relationship, but they were a confirmation of it. Think about this, because uh, this is something that challenges us, uh, especially those who are raised in faith to our, you know, back to our core, that the rules, they're not a condition of the relationship, but they're a confirmation of it. Because as we looked at the family model, if you're born into a family that there's rules that are given, you don't, those rules don't apply if you're not a part of that family. He's saying, I'm going to give you some rules. Now that we've established the relationship, now that we've established that we're together, I want to give you some, some thoughts to live by, some rules that I've designed for your life. Here's what it looks like. But just know, before I say any of this, we're in relationship. So then he goes on in verse um, 3. He says to them, so basically he says, you know, you must not have any other gods but me. So he says, the first rule is this, don't worship any other gods. None of them could have taken you out. None of them could have done what I've done before you guys did anything for me. I did this for you. He says, just don't worship any other gods. And they're probably all sitting there going, yeah, you're right. You just set us free from Egypt. You just split the Red Sea. You just fed us with food from, um, you sent bread in the morning and, and quail at night. Like you've made water come out of a rock. 
yeah, you're God. We won't worship any other gods. We're, we're good. And then he goes down and gives them a, a number of other rules. But the rules, the rules weren't there to save them. The rules weren't like, hey, hey guys, I'm coming into Egypt. I'm going to give you 10 laws. You keep these 10 laws, and I'm going to take you out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt first. And then he said, here's, here's, some, here's some rules to live by. So if you look at the three models that we talked about earlier, the family model, where you're born into it, and then you get the rules, the club model, where you keep the rules, and then you can be part of the family, or the neighborhood association, where there's rules, you don't know them, and you just hope you're doing good. Which one do you think God works under? Family. Family. Family rules. If you think about, if you think about it, he says, we're in relationship first, and then I'm going to give you rules. If you think about the thought that he didn't need rules for salvation, the rules didn't save the people, the rules were just there before um, as, a, as a result of that salvation, then why all the rules? God, if we don't really need the rules to save us, why do we need rules at all? I want to give you a few thoughts on that and, and to think about that. If we think that God operates under the family model, then think about rules in your family. Rules in a family are meant to protect the ones we love. Rules in a family are meant to protect the ones we love. The, you, you have rules as parents to protect your children because you love them. You know, the, the, the main goal of parenting between the ages of one and six is just keep them alive. You know, my son Lincoln turned six yesterday, so I have success there. But I got two more boys, you know, that I'm just like, oh. And, and, and because of that, you have to have, you know, there's these rules in your house that is like, don't play with the stove. Don't play with fire. And like, Dad, you're so uncool. I'm like, you're three and you're not playing with fire. Things like, don't put your brother in the dryer. Don't, um, you know, don't take candy from strangers. I'm like, Dad, you just don't want us to have candy. That's not why I have the rule in place. You know, eat your vegetables. Don't date, uh, no dating until you're 18. You know, different things we just put in place because we want to protect them. Why? Because I love my kids. Some of you are like, that's just harsh. But it's because I love my kids that I put these rules in place. But the same thing is if you think about it, it's like, okay, wait a second. So God didn't put these rules there to save me. He's put them there because he loves me, wants to protect me. Ru Another thought about rules. Rules alone do not motivate you to keep them. Rules alone do not motivate you, you to keep them. If we think about it in parenting, you know, if your parenting is more like this guy right here, you know, the, the, this is how you're going to run your house. You know, you're like the drill sergeant. Like, I'm the parent. I get to make the rules and you got to listen. This, you know, this family's got to shape up. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you guys are going to keep the rules because I said so. Someday when you grow up and have a house of your own, you can make the rules and, and then you can do whatever you want. But in my house... And, and there's this idea where it's like, listen, um, I want this, this behavior to be right. If you think about it, God doesn't parent us that way. God doesn't parent us that way. You know, for some, especially parents with teenagers, let me just remind you that your kids are looking for connection with you. They're looking for relationship. They're looking to know and need to know that you love them. Oh, my kids know I love them. Maybe not. They need to know that you love them. See, our job as parents isn't to get our kids' actions to be right. That's not our job as parents. Our job as parents is to help our kids get their hearts to be right. Not our actions, but their, but their hearts. Out of a heart is going to come these, these right actions. And parenting is heart work. Having heart-to-hearts with your kids. Not just setting the rules and setting the things and saying, hey, this is how it goes in this house. Because rules without relationship, it leads to rebellion. 
Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Some of you are struggling with your kids rebelling. When's the last time you just sat down and had a heart-to-heart? If you need some information on it, heartbasedparenting.com will help you a a ton. Realizing that parenting is, it's heart work. Why? Because rules alone aren't going to motivate anyone to keep them. See, some of you thought about this, and it's not family, but you, you see this with church. You're like, you're right. They just had a whole lot of rules. I didn't really want to keep them. You know, rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. Um, marriage, same thing in marriage. Rules in your marriage alone aren't going to be what it, uh, aren't, aren't going to motivate your spouse to, to keep them. Um, you know, if there's, there's so, so many times people have difficulty in their marriage, and then one spouse gives an ultimatum to the other. They're like, you know what, this is it. If you don't, then, then here's, here's the deal. And they would say, we want to set up rules. Um, there's so many people that struggle with marriage. There's so many marriages in crisis. And they ask me questions. So finally, I just signed up for this, um, this website for marriages in crisis. And they send me emails every single day. And, uh, you know, I just go through them. I think, okay, this is for so-and-so. I'll send it to them today. And for others, it's like sometimes it's for me, right? But this, uh, this guy named Mort Fertel who, who uh, runs this website called Marriage Max. And he, he wrote this. And I just wanted to share it with you. Under the thought of rules alone don't motivate you to keep them. If your spouse is a sex addict, a workaholic, an alcoholic, having an affair, into porn, or involved in any other type of obsessive or destructive behavior, the problem's not a lack of rules in your house. It's a lack of motivation to live by them. Your spouse knows their behavior is wrong, even if they won't admit it. Even if they justify it, deep down they know that their behavior is immoral it's destroying your marriage and it's soiling their soul. The problem is, is that they don't care. The problem is that they lack an internal motivation to do the right thing. Your spouse has to want to stop. The key is their inner motivation, their will. An ultimatum imposes rules from the outside. It does nothing to address, uh, nothing to address the lack of motivation on the inside. And as you think about that, and you know, when you're dealing with addiction and stuff, there's obviously more to it than that. But in the marriage context, there's, there's a, uh, the, the thought that he goes from here to say is that, you know, the idea is connection. A lot of this stuff, a lot of it starts out as just being, you know, fruits of, of, of not being connected, not having um, meaningful connection, meaningful relationship in their life. And say, so rather than focusing on, hey, let's set rules, it's focusing on this idea of connecting with them. Focusing again on the idea of, hey, we are in this as a relationship. Let's get back to that. Let's not try and rule this thing um, the way it is. And, you know, you see in the Bible, too. More for tell, he's not a genius, but Jesus is. You know, and he had uh, Paul write in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, what? Love your wives. Not just love them. Love them like Christ loved the church. Have this understanding of, of that relationship, that the way Christ loves the church, it's not based on the rules and keeping them. It's based on this connection. Wives, yield to your husbands like you would to the Lord. Not yield to them like a taskmaster. Yield to them like you would yield to, to the Lord. Same ideas, you know, the things we don't think about, the promises. Kind of the rules that we set for our marriage, the promises that we made at the altar, having to be faithful to you and I love you till death do us part, for better or for worse, all those kind of rules, they came at the altar, but that was after relationship. You didn't fall in love on your wedding day. You already were. You already were in this, in this relationship of connectedness, saying, hey, you know what, here, we're going to set some of these things. And the thing is, we, we do that in our, in our relationships, but we don't realize that that, you know, is the way that God does it with us, focusing on the connection um, before the rules. So this third thought, consequences are conditional on keeping rules, but the relationship's not. 
The consequences are conditional on keeping the rules, but relationship is not. You know, God said to this nation of Israel, you're my people, and here's the rules that I want you to live by. And guess what? They broke every one of them. It wasn't even a few weeks later, they're making another God. They're worshiping this golden image that they made themselves. And he's just like, oh, I think we said this just a couple of weeks ago. Don't worship any other gods. Yeah, God, we're going to do that. Oh, and, and bound down. And he's like, you know what? You're still, you know what? You're still my people, even though they broke the rules. And it's the same with your kids. You know, my son Maddox, he hits Finn all the time. And we're just like, oh, you know, we got to put him on timeout. We got to tie his hands behind his back. I don't know what, we haven't done that. Just if you're in CAS, we haven't done that. So, uh, um, but he's like, anything we can do to try and help him to be nice to his brother, right? Um, but he, you know, this, this thing, we don't go to Max and say, that's it. You know, we might say, hey, listen, you got to go to your room. But I don't say to him, all right, Maddox, that's it. You are not a Vanderweer anymore. You know, you hate your brother. That is, until you learn how to stop hitting him, you are not a part of this family. Doesn't work like that. And yet sometimes we think that's the way that God deals with us. You know, as you read through the Old Testament, you see the prophets and they're these angry, kind of bitter diatribes against the people of Israel. You guys have left the Lord. You know, come back. And what's it really saying? It's saying, you know, it's kind of like God being like a good parent. Like saying, one, two, three. Okay, timeout. You guys are going on timeout for 40 years. You know, and then they're like, oh God, we're so sorry. He sends somebody to rescue them. And then they still do crazy stuff. It's like, oh, one, two, and send another prophet, three. Okay, timeout, 70 years. You guys, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, but he never says, that's it, done with you. He never has dealt that way, if you look at it from the past. So the question is this, if my behavior doesn't affect my relationship with God, then I can break all the rules. And for some of you, it feels like this. You got like a get out of jail free card, right? You're like, oh, thanks for telling me this, because now I don't have to live a certain way, because, you know, if God did that for Israel, then he can do that for me, and you're a very smart person, because that is the way it is. This idea that that um, your behavior doesn't affect your relationship with God um, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've become um, his, his people. And I was chatting with a guy a while back, and him, we were talking about this, and he's, he's kind of trying to discover this whole um, a concept of, of faith and Christianity. We were talking about it, and so we talked about the idea of being a mistaker and a sinner and saying, hey, what does it make you think if you, um, if you did something wrong and someone else had to pay for it? He's like, ah, it's an interesting thought. I said, what if I were to tell you that for all the, the sins that you want to call mistakes you've committed, that Jesus had to die to pay for those? And he's like, I like it. I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. What does it make you think? He's like, Jesus took one for the team. He's like, I just can, you know, I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. If I want to fix it, great. But if I mess up, oh, it's all right. Jesus took one for the team and I'm good. And I thought, interesting. He's, I, so I said, you wouldn't want to keep the, he's like, nah, I wouldn't want to change, you know, anything. I'm, I'm good. And then I asked him, I said, so, okay, what if your mother was the one who had to pay? And also his face changed because he loves his mom. He had just told me how much he loved his mother. And I was thinking, all of a sudden this thing of, wait a second, I kind of want to change my answer, you know, if, if my mom had to pay for all that. Well, that's different. I'm like, why is it different? And the difference is it's because it involves relationship. See, for some of you, you're looking at it and think the rules are harsh right now probably says that the relationship with God isn't there. Because when there's a relationship there, the rules don't feel burdensome. Because you know that there's, there's a, the, the, um, you know that there's relationship there, and it's this, this uh, it's, it's a, it's a huge difference. So my question for you is, what about you, and what about me? You know, if it, that was the way it was for Israel way back in the day, if God designed it, that's relationship first, and the rules is something, is something different, 
my question for you is that, is it still about connection with God? If you're starting out, restarting, thinking about it, which model are you living under right now? Is it this idea of, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm here uh, and wanting to pursue relationship with God, or is it the idea of the rules? Genesis 18, God promised that Abraham, it's not just for you, it's for all nations. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, incredible verse, it says, but to all who believed and accepted him, being Jesus, he gave the right to become what? Children. Children of God, not members of the club, you know, not, uh, you know, members of the neighborhood. He said, you know what, you've become children. And what did they have to do to become children? For those who believed, for those who trusted him, for those who entered into that connection, relationship with him, he gave them the right. There's nothing in there, but if you kept all these rules, you can become children. So if you don't become part of the family by keeping the rules, it'd be like the neighbor kid, you know, coming over to my house and trying to keep all the rules that my kids keep and then thinking he can be a Vanderwehr. It just doesn't happen, right? But uh, the same, that same idea is this, that it's, it's this idea of just uh, of, of, um, realizing that relationship is, is the key. John chapter 5 and verse 39, it just talks about that whole Old Testament. So why do we have it all? It all points to Jesus. The Ten Commandments weren't written for you to keep. They're basically written to show you that you can't keep them and that you need Jesus. He said, you know, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Why? If you love me, if you love me, if you've got relationship, you'll keep my commandments, which are love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love, uh, again, relationship beforehand. So my challenge for you this morning is, if you're thinking about faith, you're thinking about don't miss what it was really all meant to be. Jesus did not come to start another religion. He did not come to just, you know, come to this planet, give his life on the cross so you could sit in a, in a church building on a Sunday morning. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to just say, hey, your sins are forgiven. There you go. You're on your own. He came to restore relationship with you and God, that you can hear his voice, that you can know him, that you can have relationship with him, that you could be a part of his family and that it feels like family. The starting point for connection the starting point for relationship with God is Jesus, not keeping a list of rules. So my question is, what have you been doing? How have you been building your connection with God? Is it this idea of God, yeah, I'm living life with you? Or is it this idea of I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments? Is it God, I know I couldn't do it, so I'm thankful and I you know, accept the invitation to be part of your family? Or is this idea of like, ugh, if I don't keep the rules, I'm getting get kicked out? Don't miss out on the relationship. Don't miss out on that. You know, as, a, as followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you with that. And if you're here and you're not sure, don't join a religion. You'll just find yourself bogged down by all kinds of rules. Nobody wants to do that. Realize that he wants relationship with you. And he paid a great price for it. Can we pray? Father, thank you that you are our Father. That's who uh, you've been revealed as. And thank you for calling us your children. Jesus, thanks for giving your life for us. It's just absolutely amazing that you loved us that much. Um, this morning, we thank you that you love us enough to, to give us ways to, to, to live that protect us uh, and, and actually help us to shine and make a, a difference in our world. This, this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask that as we go from this place, that, that uh, you continue to stir this up in our hearts, that we would just make a real difference wherever we find ourselves, uh, people would see you in us. Those people here this morning, God, who don't know you, I know, I know you know how to talk to them. I just pray that you continue to reveal yourself for who you really are, as good and amazing and loving, uh, that they might find the hope that they're looking for and find the relationship in you. Uh, God, thanks for this awesome family. Thanks for putting us together. We love you. 
de- determined uh, today to live this day for you. Thanks for the gift that it is. We celebrate you in it, uh, in your name, for your glory. I pray, amen.